Hi, welcome to Two Girls, One Journey. I'm Naya. I'm Gabby. Here we talk about all things kidney beans. And everything in between. Hey guys, welcome to Two Girls, One Journey. I am Naya and we have... Gabby. What's up? What's going on? Hey girl, hey. Soon to be birthday girl. Uh-huh. I know, old birthday girl. Oh, I'm stop. Old so you're calling 29. me old? You're calling me old. I'm 31. No, you're young and beautiful. Stop. Look at I got I got wrinkles. You see, girl, I got bags. I tell you, I look like Uncle Fester. You're 29. You're gonna be thriving. Come on. Happy vibes here for the birthday girl. Happy vibes, happy vibes, happy vibes. So today's episode is going to be a very special episode because you guys get to learn a little bit more about Gabby. Um, Basically, Gabby's journey with kidney failure and dialysis is one that she's been impacted with her whole entire life, right? It's just essentially part of who you are, not who you are. So um, Gabby is going to go on and take over and tell us about her journey. So I was making my way into the world. Making my way into the world. I was just thinking that. All right. Um, So I was like, okay, it's time for me to come and make my big debut. So as I was making my debut, um, well, I'll just start, whatever. I made my debut. I came out and then my parents were like, wow, that's a fat baby. No, they didn't say that. I'm sure they did. She was a little thick. Put in there. (laughs) So, anyway, so I was able to live like with like that with the kidney function that I did have for two years, and then I went on dialysis, and then a month before my fifth birthday, my dad gave me his kidney, and that lasted me 18 years until 2015 when I went on dialysis again. And I have been awaiting for a kidney ever since. And yeah, that's where I'm at today. Okay, so let's let's now fill in the blanks. So what exactly was wrong with your kidneys? Was it a malformation? Was it a particular disease, like polycystic disease? And did your parents know ahead of time or was it until you were born that they knew? And then you started dialysis at two and you did hemo, correct? So, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. Um, what was the first question? The first question, like, what exactly did you have, or do you okay. have, and, like, did, when did your parents find out about that? So, that's the thing, is, like, we've been calling it a malformation because it's not, like, kidney disease, you know, like when we get like polycystic or, you know, nephritis or, you know, something like that sense. Um, We don't really know how it happened. It just happened. My mom said that she thought it was because she took a water pill um, because she went to the gynecologist and took a water pill or something didn't know that she was pregnant and then they called her and were like hey I hope you didn't start that medicine because you're pregnant and she was like um oh oh okay so that happened oh, okay so I don't even know what medicine was this I'm curious I don't even think she remembers I don't even know to be honest I don't even think she remembers <laughs> so um 
my parents did know that something was wrong ahead of time, but they told them that I wasn't going to be born with a bladder, which that's obviously not true because I was born and I'm here and I don't think you can have a baby without a bladder. Have a baby without a bladder. I, mean, I think that there's there's very rare cases that it's possible. Be, I think there's like it a bladder transplant or I may be thinking intestines. But um so that's what they initially thought was wrong with me. But then when I was born, um they did a dye test and realized that it was my ureters. So that's why I came out pudgy, is because I was fluid overloaded. And so they had to, obviously you can't dialyze a baby, so I don't really know how they got the fluid off me. But, I, oh, they put in a stent, that's what they did. That's They put in a stent trying to fix it, but it didn't, it worked like, for temporarily. Maybe, it, I think it might have worked for the two years that I had, so who knows. But, anywho. <clears throat> um, and then there was a third part to that question, right? Oh, you said, um, it was a yes or no question. I can't remember what it was. But. So it was basically the questions were, what exactly that you have? Did your parents know, or when did they find out? And then third is like, did you start email at two? Oh. And how was that? Um, starting email at two? I think I did chemo first, yes. I don't remember exactly, like, the nitty and gritty of it. I remember, like, the happy, good times of it. Like, the nurses would always make sure that we were entertained and, you know, had snacks and movies. And we were really well taken care of in that dialysis unit, to be completely honest. Like, we always had, yeah, we always had toys. We always had food. We always had movies. It was always fun. They even had people that were, um part of the that were part of the hospital like the candy stripers they would come up to us and they would have toys and activities for us to do and hang out with us um if our parents couldn't be there it was actually a wide range of old kids too because uh I was one of the youngest there was like two or three of us that were like really really young and then the other ones there was a set of twins who were like 16 years old there was a guy who was like 18 years old at the time. And so we all kind of just like, but we all got along really well. They treated me well too, you know, because we're all there like, you know, three, four days a week. We kind of got to get along. And so we had played card games with each other and color. And it was a really good group of kids. Do you ever wish you like remembered any names? I remember some names and I try to look some up, the ones that I do remember I unfortunately a couple have passed oh. I think most have passed to be honest oh my god um so I remember yeah so I remember but keep in mind this was in the 90s in St. Pete and in St. Pete yes all soldiers was a great hospital but that's what I remember was like all the good and happy stuff and I actually still have a lot of my team um I found them recently, and I have them on Facebook. My one nephrologist, Dr. Proven, she was a badass bitch. She was a boss-ass bitch. And, like, she was a tough cookie, but she really, really cared about her patients. And, like, I aspire to be her. She was, she was great. She was this short, little, petite woman. Her name was Sharon. And she was, like, really quirky, like, in the sense that she always had, like, 
um, earrings that were like, you know, fun for our kids, you know? That quirky fun nurse. Right, right. And so I loved her to death. She was so funny though. She was like four feet tall, man, but she was tough. (laughs) But she was great. Um, She was also uh, like the head of uh, offshore friends. And oh, she just, she was just a great woman. I had such a great team of doctors there. My other nephrologist, his name is Dr. Sherman. He still practices in New York now, though. But he, um, <laughs> he used to dress up as Steve from Blue's Clues and do the Blue's Clues dance for me Aww. to make me feel better. So he was awesome. I honestly, I think like for what it was I had the like I don't have like sure I got poked and prodded and stuff but that's not the memories that I have of growing up with this disease as a kid so you're you're I mean because you were a child especially you know when you're a child they people try to make it so that you're not aware of what's technically really happening you know something is a little bit different or off but it's like right, try la, la, la. scary yes which obviously you should for children too even for adults did i tell you so today i have this is total side no total ramble but atovacone it's a part of like the anti-infection medication you're given post-transplant so i'm taking it tampa they were nice enough to give me tutti fruit tutti fruity flavoring now cvs specialty pharmacy didn't do that and it's disgusting i keep on gagging so i'm gonna call tampa and see if they can give me the little tutti fruity if they, or they can do it for me because i was like bloop, bloop, bloop. i was like hurling and i was like oh god I did record it and put it on TikTok, but then the part where I actually took it didn't record because I was like, ah. So <laughs> it was totally gross. And I was like, I miss Tootie Fruity. But sorry about tutti that. Tootie Fruity, fresh and fruity. Yeah, I really, the Tootie Fruity is very, it makes it very tolerable. But okay, so we t- spoke about what you had, like your experience, from what you remember. Okay, so then the fun part of this story in this chapter, you got transplanted and your papa. Papa Morales was your donor. So do tell yes. all about that. And, you know, throw in that little punching surprise there as well. <laughs> well, okay. So I didn't really understand, like, what it meant. But my parents always told me, like, oh, you know, you're going to have, like, a new type. And it's going to be, you know, so much fun or whatnot. And to, like, keep things light. My mom took me to the movies the day before. And I don't know if you remember the movie Clock Stoppers from Nickelodeon. That's what we went to go see the day before my transplant. And uh, so we saw it and um, we went in for surgery the next day and I don't remember a damn thing besides waking up and kicking the shit out of my dad right where he had his scar. Like I woke up and they're like, look Gabby, it's your dad, your surgery's done, you got his kidney, woohoo. And I like rolled him over to me and he was like, hey. And I just went, like, Junk right in the right in the scar, and I, I don't know why. I don't. I didn't remember. I was always told this, and yeah. We will eventually have Papa Morales on here. Can I call him Papa Morales? Yeah, that works. Okay, we will have him on and explain you know, the whole living donor process, and I'll have my husband on, and I spoke to my donor as well. They're welcome. They're interested in coming on as well. So it'd be cool to have everyone's perspective, especially from your dad's perspective, because this was like, 
nine, like early, technically this was like what, 99 that you had your transplant? Yeah, so they weren't even doing like liposcopic yet. Yeah, so I think it's super cool to see like the differences. Um, okay, so then do you remember, I know you obviously don't remember anything like right afterwards of how you probably felt or whatever, but do you remember like taking the medications and like adjusting to that and drinking water? Because you've told me in the past like your mom had to basically fight you to drink <laughs> and eat. Yeah, the medications I don't remember too much. I remember um, one of the ones that I took I used to actually really like because speaking of the flavoring, they used to flavor it for me because when you're in peds, um, initially they start you out in um, liquids, but then when you're old enough, like to take pills, then they obviously want you to start taking pills because it's easier to dose it that way. Yeah, we, um, so they actually had to uh, send my medicines to a compounding pharmacy too, where like, you know what that is, where they have oh, yeah. to like break it down and like compound. I used to work at like, one. Make it. Um, yeah, so they had to do that as a kid. I remember the guy used to always give me candy when we went in there. I used to get shit from everybody when I went somewhere, like, I don't know if it was a sick kid thing or what, but, I mean, A chubby kid thing, because I used to get fat all the time because I loved food. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing was, I didn't even get to be a chubby kid until after transplant, to be honest, because that's when I was able to eat, like, whatever and every, like, whatever and everything, and my parents just wanted me to eat, so they just gave me whatever I would eat, like, whatever I would ask for. Mm. Which, look at that monster I created today. It was just, I don't want to say it was a fun time. It wasn't a fun time, but I'm glad that I have better happy memories than I do bad ones, you know? I know, totally. Mm. So, how was life in between being transplanted and then, you know, the kidney going into a rejection? So how was that time frame of your life? Adolescence, basically. Reckless. Reckless, like, how reckless? What you mean reckless? Oh my God, is it reckless? I didn't care, I was free. I mean, I knew the gift that was given to me, but I didn't know the gift that was given to me. Did you think it was gonna if, last if forever? That makes sense. No, I didn't think it would last forever, but I guess we just always assumed my brother would be next in line. So we didn't think it would be really an issue. My parents never, like I said, they never really talked to me about it, what would happen down the road. So question, this is going into what you just said about your brother. So did your parents, did your brother, is your, did your brother step up because he wanted to? Or how was that determined? Because now you're taking, you're asking something of someone else who. Well, I don't think it was ever in a spoken thing that Andrew would be next growing up. I think we just kind of all assumed it, but then the, technically the first person to step up and test was my cousin Adrian. Mm -hmm. And then Andrew said, like, what about me? So he wanted to do it too. Oh, okay. So he did it on his own volition. Good, yeah, because I, I was thinking, as soon as you said that, I was thinking about the book and the movie My Sister's Keeper. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean... My mom watched that the other day, actually. Yeah, that movie makes me cry all the time. You should read, um, there's this book called... So, do you know who Lorraine McDaniel is? 
I don't think so. I think you might have mentioned her in the past, though. Lorraine McDaniel, something like that. She makes books that are, like, medical romances, and I Mm -hmm. love her books. And she has one called Saving Jessica about um, a boyfriend who gives his girlfriend a kidney. But it was a good book. I enjoyed that. Um, That was, like, and it was funny because my friend Angela was actually the one to read that when we were in sixth grade. And she was like, hey, I read a book that made me think about you. Because I, my friends knew, but Angela was the first to, like, kind of, like, acknowledge and, like, take any interest into what the hell it is. Which, I mean, I'm not holding that against anybody. We were kids, you know? Like, I wouldn't think to, like, my friends cared. I'm not disputing that, but I'm not, like, if you would ask them anything about my lives, like, like, perfect example. Not perfect example, but, like like my friends could literally only tell you about like my medications and like probably how many I took and why I took them and that's about it and like that I was transplanted but like they didn't necessarily know what that all entails if that makes sense well that makes sense I feel like because when you're a teenager and you're a kid like whatever is happening to you people may be aware of but not that people don't care but teenagers are going through their own shit you get those few who can not only process their own things, but like understand maybe something like, you know, what you you went through as a teenager. Yeah, Angela is always more mature and very knowledgeable, very intelligent for her age. So I think that's where that came from too. When you rejected around your 20th birthday, what symptoms and how long did it take? Did you do anything to try to save the kidney from going into full-on rejection? I initially started noticing that um, obviously I was lethargic all the time. I was working at Ford and I would just pass out like at the desk doing my job sometimes. Excuse me. And my boss at Ford was great. He actually, sorry. His wife actually got a kidney from her father when she was 13, and then she got her second transplant um, right around when I started at um, at Ford, or not when I started at Ford, but like a year before me starting at Ford. And so when he saw me, like, you know, puffing up and being tired and all that, Rob, that's my old boss, shout out to Rob and Amy, and... Uh, he approached me and was like, hey, you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, yeah, no. And he's like, no, seriously, like, go. So I was like, okay, okay. Because he knew that I got the boot from uh, All Children's. And it took me initially, like, a few months to go. And so then finally I went, and that's when I went. I originally had my doctor our appointment for schedule with them. I think it was Dr. Um, what's the lady's name? Oh, Alvaringa. There we go. Initially, my appointment was with her, but I don't think she was available, so I got Dr. Jarley, and I'm so glad that I did because he has been the same. I was on this, so before I went to the adult I did uh, high doses of steroids, which we all know are really fun, right? (laughs) And I was very moody and hungry and bitchy and just everything in between. 
And so we did, we tried the high, high doses of steroids and it helped for a little bit, but my creatinine didn't get down to what we really wanted it to. I don't think, I think we wanted it lower than like two, but we couldn't get it lower than two. And actually it probably was, cause I think two is like where they start to worry, to be honest. And so I don't really remember where I was, but I know it was definitely not where they wanted me to be. And so it worked a little bit, but until it didn't, obviously. And then, um, let's see, I did the steroids. I had the puffiness, I was lethargic. How was your urine um, output? You know, I don't think I stopped peeing until they took me off the immunosuppressants, to be completely honest. Because, like, I was taking... It wasn't like I completely cut out my medicines and, like, I was deliberately not taking it. I would take them here and there, but, like, when I remembered, like, sporadically. But, like, when they completely cut me off, like, is when I completely stopped urinating. So, when you... Let's backtrack a little bit. So, when you say you weren't taking your meds, like, explain that a little bit more. So... My whole life in pediatrics, they were training me because they always tell you, you know, you're a kid. You know what's going on to a certain extent, but all you really care about at that age is being normal, right? And what quote-unquote normal kid takes of cocktail fucking medicines. And so... They say that once you get to a certain age, you want to stop taking your medicines. And I didn't ever think it would ever happen to me until it did. And it it happens to everybody. I'm not, and I don't like when people are like, oh, that doesn't happen to me or it's never happened to me. And, you know, great if there maybe there is a kid who understands what they got and is going through it and you know great but i also think this is something we're going to have in another episode but you know that transition from pediatric to adult especially when you don't fully let a child understand the severity of what they're going through because you're trying to protect them so sometimes that's a disservice in a way i think right um, so it's a whole conversation for another episode, but you know that does play into a factor. Um, but I also think that I also think that like that transition is hard enough. And if someone doesn't tell you the realness of what can happen, right, it leads to what situations kind of like what you experienced, you know? Right. And I mean, my don't get me wrong. The doctors told me. And they told my parents, they told my parents what to look out for, but you never actually think that it happens, that what could happen to you. And, you know, granted, my parents did the best that they could, but back then, like, it wasn't parenting, like, and talking to your kid and telling them and explaining things wasn't an option. Back then, it was more of, like, I make the decision for you we're not going to talk about it type deal. You know what I mean? Well, and then, or at least it was for my parents. I was going to say, I think it depends on the parenting. Um, you know, and I think it's, it depends on the parents and the parenting. Um, obviously they're going to make a decision, but 
you know, once you hit, like, I think for me personally, if I were a parent, I'm not a parent, and obviously I don't know, I can't speak for, I don't know the situation to be a parent and have to go through that and then also explain it to a child, but if it were me, and like my husband Sean, like, I would want, I believe in keeping things real and keeping things age appropriate for a child, meaning, you know, for example, if our child was born with kidney issues, you know, with time we could explain things, like we could say why you have to do it, but we keep it at a level that a child could understand. And then, you know, I think for my personal, like, opinion, I think that depending at the age of, like, maybe, like, around between, like, nine, like, eight and nine, I'm gonna be, like, I want our child to start asking questions. I want to be a little bit more, like, show the realism hands-on yes yeah hands-on to the extent of like well we are explaining things to you we want you to understand it at the end of the day like i want to do what's best for my child and my child's like i don't think the child doesn't understand everything so that's a part as a parent to obviously fill in the blanks and you ultimately will make the best decision guided by your child knowing your child you know and obviously medical advice that's my opinion. I could be totally wrong. You know, everyone's different, but that's my personal no, opinion. No, I agree. You're right. I mean, my parents involved me to a certain extent. Like, they would talk to me and be like, do you understand this? Like, this is what a biopsy is, or this is what's going to happen. And, like, in terms of surgery, they would, like, explain that to me. Um, once I got old enough, I would start, they would give me more and more responsibility. Of um, So, like, that's once good. I think I was, like, I think once I was, like, eight years old, I started measuring out my medicines in the things i mean my mom would watch me and correct me or you know like double check and make sure i did it but in terms of um like making my own decisions and explaining like i wish they would have taken more initiative to explain it to me in the terms that i can understand because yet they told me this is a gift that my dad gave me that god gave me you know i got to take care of it you know whatever but i didn't and like I said, when I when I lost my first one, like I really thought that it would be so easy to get my second one. I thought it would be a no-brainer. I didn't think, I definitely did not think this is where I would be today. Yeah, and and that's scary, you know. Obviously, like part of you is probably like, dang, I kind of wish I could go back and fix it, but all you have to do is like push forward and go from there. So that happened around your 21st birthday. And tomorrow you'll be 29, 29 years young. You've been around for 29 winters. Okay, yes. so yes, positive vibes and happy vibes to the birthday girl. 29 trips around the sun. Yes. So, you know, once that happened, what, so what happened after that? Like, you ended up doing chemo and then how did like life happen and like what was going on in terms of like your mental health, like your overall health and like switching from like chemo to dialysis, to peritoneal dialysis? Oh, girl, my mental health was shit when I first started, I'm not even gonna lie. I was so depressed because to me I was in the I was in my prime. I had a cool group of friends. We were hanging out. You know, we were having fun. I had guys I was interested in, you know, that's all I gave a fuck about. Like I, I was living my life. I was in my prime. I was having fun. And in the middle of my fun it got completely shattered. And, I mean, it definitely taught me a lot about life as in, like, who's really there for me and, you know, like, who I can count on and, 
just things like that and because I can tell you a lot of those people were not my friends and um, they were just around for the good times and it's 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 not only as I don't even want to say a culture shock but it's like it is so many emotions because you're like already going through it as a young adult trying to make your way throughout the world and to deal with this on top of it is it was really difficult I was really going through it because not only that like there's so many factors I was going through that I was going through a breakup um, I got the guy that I was seeing like my rebound after my breakup died like so many things went into like so many things happened at once for me that my mental health was really bad to the point where I would go to dialysis come home and just lay on the couch and watch Netflix like all day until it was time to go to bed and Been go back there. to bed and Relatable. do it all again the next morning like it was so bad my dad would really have to force me and be like we have to go to Costco and I'm like I'm not going he's like you don't understand you don't have a choice you have to get out of that house yeah I, I totally understand the affliction of that and I don't I mean I understand it from a different perspective um I mean I was 28 when I went into diagnosed failure but uh, um it's hard it's very very hard so then you started hemo and that was something you said you couldn't continue doing so you ended up getting a um let's backtrack so hemodialysis is when you hook up to a machine and they cleanse your they clean they cleanse your blood and they remove fluids um in a certain amount of time most people go three times a week every other every other day and then you have like a tie two days off consecutively and then there's another modality called peritoneal dialysis and that's when gabby ended up switching to so take over darling so with peritoneal dialysis what that does is essentially is that i think it's like right under your belly or, or in your belly area there's the what's called peritoneum and so what the PD dialysis does is it doesn't even involve your blood like the clinic one does or like hebo does it what it does is it takes sugar water and it fills it into your peritoneum dextrose right and i'll sit there and sit for you know however many hours your your schedule is for or whatever and then it'll collect those toxins and then drain out and then depending on your prescription it does that like anywhere from four to five maybe one time a night I'm sorry. It's okay. And so my treatment was like nine hours um, with that. And I was able to do that for six years. I had, you know, normal life. I worked. I, you know, I was pretty functional. And I was doing, I I thought I was doing my best in St. Augustine, which is where I was doing a majority of my beard meal. But it turns out, I guess I was wrong. Um, I was able to do peritoneal for about six and a half years until, I don't know, man, I don't even know what happened, how I got the fungal infection or what, but somehow I ended up getting a fungal infection and they pulled my catheter and told me once I healed, I was able to do it again. But it turns out that my peritoneal, once they pulled the catheter, it, um, by the time it healed it, like, my stomach was like sticking together I had too many adhesions so I wasn't able to do PD again but I insisted on doing the surgery and the doc 
the surgeon literally couldn't even pump up my stomach because of how stuck together it was to do said surgery. And when I woke up and I did not have a catheter there like I thought I would, I flipped the fuck out. So I woke up from surgery and I started feeling my belly and I looked because I was really excited to get off a hemo because in my mind I only had like I think it was like 10 to 12 treatments to do um, at hemo before I can get my catheter back and so when I woke up and I started checking and I didn't see it I asked the nurse I was like where's my catheter and she looked at me and like just like nonchalantly was like oh we couldn't do the surgery and like to her that was her job and that was you know like the news that she had to break it was just so nonchalant but to me that was like the end of the world because I was looking forward to that um like I said I had in my head that I had 10 to 12 treatments I had to do I had a fucking calendar I would mark it off and you know I, I did that and I, I don't know what went in my head but I just completely like snapped I started screaming and hysterically crying like honest to god like I'm sorry I don't mean this like any disrespect here but you would have thought I lost a child or some part the how bad I was screaming and crying in this uh, hospital um, warm room. It's a, it wasn't even a room. It's like where they hold you after surgery with a curtain. Oh my God, it was so bad. So the nurse brings in my mom and was like, would your mom make you feel better? And my mom was trying to do everything I could because they couldn't release me until I calmed down. So my mom was there and it was like at least an hour and she couldn't calm me down. So um, my mom was like, can we give her something, you know, to calm down? Because this is detrimental to her. So they gave me something. My mom's like, you know, I'm going to call your dad. Maybe there's something that he can do to help you feel better. Like my dad, like, did not help at all. I think if anything, he made the situation much worse. Um, if you know me, my parents do not get along, and so for her to call my dad was a big step, but she was upset because my dad came and was showing me a picture and was like, oh, you know, this is how beautiful she was before, you know, all this happened or whatnot, and it's like, well, that's irrelevant and that's kind of shitty, but, you know, that's besides the point. My dad didn't really do much to help, if anything, he kind of made it worse. Mental health... <clears throat> On that side of the family is not a big aspect that we talk about or that they take serious. And at this time, my mental health was just not it. And um, so he ended up leaving. And uh, then it was just me and my mom, and I returned home to Tampa. And I didn't go to dialysis for a whole week and a half, I think. Yeah, it's three days. I didn't go for three, like three to four treatments. And um, I was just determined that I was going to give up. And I determined that I didn't need a kidney anymore. So I I got a cricket, you know, ADHD. <laughs> so I got a cricket and I never use it, but I took this stupid scraper tool that it comes with. And I got off on the um, 
hood of my car and I started scraping my sign off the car that says that I need a kidney. And I, my neighbors in my apartment complex must have thought I looked like a psychotic mofo because I was just angrily scraping the windshield of my car. It was ridiculous. Looking back on it now, like, it was definitely ridiculous. And, I, I, yeah, I overreacted, but I guess at the time, it wasn't really overreacting. That was my feelings that I didn't know how to take just I was determined that I was not going to be on hemo. Gabby this year and Gabby last year, two totally different Gabbies. Last year was hemo was all new to me and I didn't want to accept it. And I haven't accepted it. I don't like it, but I like having my own schedule. Anyway, so that brings me to, uh, go back home but I finally muster up I have a clinic manager at um, the dialysis center in Kennedy that I was working with his name's Chris he's a great guy he was really caring my mom reached out to the center well they reached out to my mom because I haven't been for treatments at this point and he was like what can we do to offer support you know like she's so strong she's been through so much like anything you need if she needs space that we can do that but we got to get her back in here because obviously I need to dialyze. So I eventually started feeling really heavy and just like shit. So I knew I had to dialyze. So that was the reason why I went back in. And um, he's like, you know, I, don't, I know you can't do PD, but I don't know if you're interested in home emo. And I was like, absolutely not. I never wanted to do home emo. Who the fuck wants to stick themselves with needles? Like, I don't trust myself to do that treatment. And so he's like, well, we have a program here at um, the facility called uh, Experience the Difference. And it's where you, you know, just come in and you relax and like, let me show you home emo and experience how you feel with that and you know we'll go from there so I was like you know it's just a week no two weeks it was just two weeks I can do this you know whatever so for two weeks I showed up at six o'clock in the morning and I was out by eight which is really nice because one you don't have to wait for the text to set up the machine to you know, you can do it on your own time. You don't have a set time that you're supposed to be there by. You know, and even though it's they're both hemodialysis, they work kind of backwards from each other. So, like, when you go into in-center for your treatment, um, you have a time that's already preset to you based off of your weight and your size. And they'll put in the numbers in, like, you tell them how much you want to take off fluid-wise. <clears throat> and then it um, actually calculates the rate itself to remove it at, like, a quote-unquote safe rate. And versus where home hemo, you actually, um, you don't have a set time, but you, have, you don't have to do a little bit of math. The machine does it for you, but... Basically, you have to take, like, your weight in kilograms 
and you know put it in and then you have the blood flow rate and then you have the volume removal which is how much fluid you want to remove and all that information input into the machine it calculates the time for you so typically a um, treatment for me is just like anywhere from two and a half to four hours depending on how much I want to take off um, yeah so anywho so he was explaining all this to me and I would nap the whole time and it was actually really great I was like oh my gosh this is wonderful like had I known this I would have done this a long time ago because no offense, in center is so annoying because you can't get any sleep. People are always talking. The machines are always going off. And then you have, like, nosy-ass neighbors. <laughs> like, I love my neighbors. She's great. But, oh, oh my gosh. Too much. So, especially at first 6 o'clock in the morning. So, I proceeded with home hemo and, um, I was doing it on my catheter because I got in a graft and I was so damn determined that I was not using the graft in center either. So that's another reason why. Like if I, it's one thing if I myself infiltrates my graft and fuck up, but if somebody else does it, like of course I'm going to be upset, but it's, you know, it's my fault. It's my doing, things happen, but I'm going to be more upset if somebody else in the center is like, you know, rushing to do things and they do it and then also in center it's, it's you have to retry now at home if I don't get it when I'm sticking then I can try again later it's not a big deal but and you have to keep trying until you get it in center until you know unless you want to go but at that point they'll make you sign a, against medical leave so it you know it's kind of a gets 22 I guess everybody has their um, you know, do's and don'ts, or, you know, pros and cons of each dialysis modality. I just personally don't really see very many pros in, um, hemodialysis and center. <clears throat> That's all. I mean, it is nice to have stuff done for you, but at the same time, like, you don't know if it's done right, you don't, you, like, I can't, I used to have a nurse, this is something that happened to me, this is another scary thing. There was a nurse that worked in the home hemo, or I'm sorry, not home hemo, in the in-center hemo, and I can't tell you how many times I got somebody else's heparin. That's not cool, that's not my dose. Anyway, totally off topic, but <clears throat> anyway, so, um, my graph matured, well, was in the middle of maturing, and then um, around Halloween, like, so, yeah, uh, yeah, because I did the train, the experience of difference in, like, September, so around Halloween, and then I got my graft surgery, and then, um, Halloween, they were able to take me into, um, the DeVita Greater Tampa for home hemo, um, to start training, and I trained doing my catheter since my graph was still maturing and they didn't want to use it for a little while. Um, and then I learned the machine. I, well, technically, I learned the machine first, then the graph care, or then the catheter care, and then we learned the cannulation. And so typically it's about four weeks worth of training, which is very little if you ask me, but that's all Medicare covers. Shout out to our government. This is why we need so much 
change in this industry. Um, so if you want to know how you can help in being an advocate for kidney care, um, whether you're a caregiver or a dialysis patient or a kidney transplant recipient, um, living donor or whatever, if you would like to help, um, please reach out to us. We have so many resources um, that we can give you to um, advocate and get more innovation in this industry for us. That is the goal of this podcast, right? But um, anywho, so I was doing all that training and it took me an extra two weeks. Um, I got six weeks worth of extra training because I was having trouble with cannulating. And then I, well, and then I started doing really well. I was doing really well with cannulating. And then I went home and all things went to shit. All, everything went to shit. It's like, and they warned me about this. They said, you know, you're going to get used to training in center with the nurse. That when you go home and do it with your care partner, it's kind of like a culture shock. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's going to be difficult the first few times. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Fine. I talked it up. It's going to be difficult the first few times. Every single time I touched that machine, something went wrong. And it got to the point where I was judging my treatments. I didn't even want to do it. And I was honest with them. And I said, look, I don't know how you can offer me support, but I need some sort of support because this is starting to get bad. I don't want to go in center. I don't want to give up. I'm starting to really dread my treatments and not wanting to do them. And so they worked with me. They came out to my house a few times and, you know, we tried different things like, um, you know, getting a pillow, you know, moving my chair, moving my whole setup around. And that helped a little bit with things. But ultimately, I think um, because I learned too much in the beginning, I, because usually when you're training, you learn you know, the cannulation or, you know, whatever type of access you have in the machine. I had two accesses to learn, you know, so that was a lot on my plate too. And cannulating is a lot. And that's the most important part. So I don't know why they don't focus on that first. But so I was doing good with cannulating, you know, I got home, everything went to shit. So I asked for more support. So I am actually currently, I went last week, um, Monday through Thursday, to uh, retrain doing the cannulating, trying to get some more hands-on experience. And Thank you so much, Gabby, for going ahead and sharing your story with kidney disease and this continuous journey, rather, actually. So I actually think you're such a great inspiration and you can help so many other people because your, your life and your journey with kidney disease and has been one of resilience persistence and it's had its ups and its downs but I think you're a true reflection of what survival is so I hope everyone could take something from this if you guys have any questions you can always reach out to us via email and our TikTok it's relatively new we're working on it so we're really proud of everything we've done so far so again we hope everyone is doing well um next week is actually going to be a what we call in between episode where it's just a funny banter of chit chat and anything random that comes up so stay tuned for that one we look forward to see you guys next week until then take care bye guys